Isn't it great to be in the house of God and sing his praises? That wasn't a very loud amen. Isn't it great to be in the house of God singing his praises? Hey, there's, there we go. All right, let's... Uh, let's oh, I, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's entitled Stories That Change the World. And uh, it's really about the parables that Jesus told. And, uh, you know, uh, last week we talked about the, the, the petty differences that we have and sometimes they get in the way and distract us from the main reason that we are the Church of Christ, you know, and, the, and what we're called to do and how we need to be careful not to let those things get in the way. But today we want to talk about a, a much deeper division that can happen within the church, much much more important to, to get it right. And uh, so let's pray and ask God to open our eyes and our minds to his word this morning. Father, we come before you today. We are so thankful for your word that guides us and leads us. And, and Lord, for your stories that you told that really changed the world, that changed our mindsets, that changed our understanding about God himself. And so, Father, this morning as we open one of these up, we pray that we would understand you better than ever before. And we would get we would get tied into who you really are, what your heart really is, what it's all about, uh, what you're all about, really. And so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and in truth, and anoint our ears, Lord, that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, most of you know that I have three sons, and and as they were growing up, my three sons would, um, you know, at, at first they would visit their, their friends after school. And then slowly on, they would start staying at their friend's place for longer periods of time. And sometimes they would stay over at their friend's place uh, over dinner hour. And they started coming home and they started saying, you know, my friends are weird. They, you know, in their family, they don't eat dinner together. They kind of eat separately, you know, and so, sometimes... Uh, and, and, and we kept hearing this over and over again from our kids. And, um, and then um, and they would say things like, well, when they, when they eat together, our friend's house, they don't really eat together. Like a couple of family will be there and then, you know, then others will come and then others will leave and then others will come and then others will leave. And it's kind of random sporadically. Or else they'll, they'll put the food on the table and everyone will come, grab it, and then melt off into their own corner of the house somewhere. And they're saying, like, all of their friends are this way. And they're, they're like, at first they were all saying, like, so weird. And then after a while they went, actually, I guess our family's the weird family, isn't it? And because in our family, um, you know, it's totally different. Like, at dinner time, the call goes out, you know, dinner's ready. And then we all, you know, start going to the dinner table and we sit down and, and then we wait and wait and wait and wait for those people who aren't coming yet. Wish you would hurry up and get here so we can eat. But we wait for each other. We wait until everybody's sitting around the table and then we pray together. And then after we pray, and, and you know, if you get to the table and you're hungry and that food is sitting there and it looks so awesome because my wife is an amazing cook and you want to just dig in, but if you dig in, you will hear someone say, that food's not blessed. Don't know who that is. But anyways, someone will say that, you know, and uh, boy, you know, you kind of hold off. So, so we wait for each other. And then at the end of the meal, we, we read the Bible together and then we pray. 
And you know, there's this prayer at the beginning and the prayer at the end, they're kind of like brackets. And you better have a really good excuse if you're not there at the table between those brackets. Because that's kind of our, you know, our family time. And, you know, we're busy people, so that's the only time we get together. And I'm not saying our family's perfect or anything. I'm just saying that this apparently is not normal. I, I thought it was normal, but apparently it's not. It's strange, apparently. And, you know, I think all of our, our whole society has gotten mixed up about mealtime. It's just become this thing that you do in between the other important stuff. You know, like, like in our culture, we, we now have fast food, right? So that you can just get your meal done with real quick. And, and it's not fast enough so, so that you can stand at a counter and get your meal two minutes later. No, 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 no. You, you need to be out. You still can be in your car. Just pull up to a window and say, hey, this is what I want. And then pull up to the next window. Give them the money and then pull up to the next window get your food. I was at this lineup one time uh, on uh, at the McDonald's on... Um, on, uh, anyways, on the other side of town. And there were like 20 cars ahead of me. And I thought to myself, oh man, this is going to take forever. And I couldn't believe it. Within three minutes, I was at the wicket. I ordered, within a minute, I had my food. This, I don't know what they were on, steroids or something, but this crew inside of that McDonald's, they were amazing. And they, by the, from the time you ordered to the time you picked up your food was a minute, max. And they were just pumping out people like crazy. I was just like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. But this is what our society, now dinner, instead of being this, this family time around the table, now it's just something we do on the way to soccer in the car, you know, after school. It's just a, you know, it's, it's, it's hardly thought of as anything anymore. And, and, you know, this phenomena is the North American phenomena, Okay. They don't have fast food places in other places of the world. Do you know that in North America, there is a McDonald's for every 25,000 people? That, that's like ridiculous. That means that in Ottawa, there's 40 McDonald's. Like, what in the world? That doesn't even include, you know, like Burger King and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken and, uh, you know, A&W and uh, what are all the rest? Anyways, doesn't include all these other ones. There's, this has become a way of life. But you know what? This is only in North America. How many of you were born outside of Canada or your parents were born outside of Canada? Let's see your hands. Okay, well, maybe we should show of hands who, who weren't born elsewhere. Seems like everybody was born somewhere else. So, uh, but what's it like in the other side of the world? It's not like that, is it? Mealtime on the other side of the world is still that sacred time with family, isn't it? And and if there's a guest, oh my goodness, like then it's really important that everybody in the family be there. And you know, you don't invite individuals over to your house. You invite whole families into your house. And this is a family to get family thing. This is all, you know, I've, I've been, I, I, we went to Holland, you know, not, not that long ago. And I thought Holland would be just like Canada. No. The mealtime is different. In fact, we rented a van there. The van didn't even have cup holders. You drink coffee with your spouse at home. You know, you don't do it on the road. You have coffee, you have breakfast together at home. You don't just pick it up on the way to work. This is a different mindset. You know? 
And, uh, and then when I went to the Middle East, oh my goodness, you know, Turkey and, and Lebanon and Egypt, the hospitality there is phenomenal, you know. And, and I'm from a Dutch family, so, you know, it's insulting to the, to the host if you don't eat all the food they give you. So I'm over there and I'm eating all the food they give me. And over there, it's insulting for the host not to give you more food than you can eat. You understand the problem? <laughs> Major problem. <laughs> Especially for me. I was just like gorging myself and I'm like, why do they keep loading my plate? Stop it, stop it. <laughs> and I'd say, stop, no, no. And they just put it on and I'm like, oh my goodness. Anyways. But what I want to point out is that in this story that I'm about to tell you that Jesus told, you have to understand the mindset of the rest of the world, not, not the Canadian mindset, okay? We need to understand that, that mealtime was the relational time. And I hope that we have more of that in our families. Uh, mealtime is, is the vital time. That's where we connect with one another. That's where we love one another. That's where, where we can share our, our intimate thoughts and our feelings with one another and not be condemned, but be understood. And then, you know, maybe some different opinions will come out. And sometimes at our table, it's quite a, quite a, a ruckus going on because we're, we're so open and honest with one another. And it's, it's intimidating sometimes for my poor daughter-in-laws. They come to our table and they're like, what is going on here? <laughs> like, they don't know. They find it intimidating because why? We're so open and we're so... Why? Because that's where relationship happens, right there. And, and so we're trying to bring in these daughters-in-laws now. It's a whole new thing for me, that's for sure. But it's exciting. Um, so this is the context that you need to understand uh, that Jesus enters into and he starts teaching the kingdom of God. And in so many of his parables and his teachings, you can see that he's inviting people into the father's table with him. And he's inviting us in to have not just food together, but this relational understanding of one another. So he talks about, you know, the parable of the banquet feasts and, and the, the feast at the end of days, the feast in heaven. And he ta- talks about um, um, the, the communion even is, is this picture of feasting together uh, through Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, the, and, and this parable, is, it's really about a feast. Uh, and he talks about many parables. Uh, the wedding parable, uh, the wedding feast, and and the invitation going out to all the people to come to the feast. This is this is what Jesus taught about the kingdom. But when he taught this, he also lived it, didn't he? I mean, who was Jesus with all the time? Partiers. <laughs> like he was with the party people, and he was out having a good time with them, and they loved his company. And so he would, he would be out all the time. In fact, that's where our parable starts this morning. Luke chapter 15. I'm not, I don't have any slides, so you're going to have to open up your Bibles, actually, or your phones and look it up yourself. Uh, but in Luke chapter 15, it starts with this, uh, this comment. It goes like this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around him to hear him. I find this fascinating. You know, the tax collectors of, of that day, they weren't like the tax collectors who worked for the Canadian government, okay? These guys were working for the Roman government. Now, this was an occupying nation that occupied their land. They, nobody wanted the Romans there. 
They were quite fine on their own, thank you very much. But this occupying force was in their country demanding that they pay for the Roman army. The very ones that were occupying their land, they had to pay for. They had to pay for their construction projects. They had to pay for their road construction project. And, you know, when, when Rome built cities, they didn't just build it in a day, as they say, right? They built massive, amazing monuments. That all had to be paid for. And so the tax man was at every corner. But guess what? There were Jewish tax workers. They worked for the foreign government, the Romans. And they were hated and despised because they would skim a little off the top for themselves. They could get rich while they were robbing all of their brothers to pay for this foreign occupation army. Nobody liked these people. They were traitors to their own countrymen. And so they were despised. And then this other category of sinners. Now, who are sinners? We're more familiar with that word, I guess. They were just people who, you know, didn't really obey the laws of the Old Testament. They ate whatever they wanted, ate unclean food. They, they ignored the, the synagogues. They didn't bother going to church at all. They kind of ignored the religious teaching. They probably didn't pray that much. They didn't go to church. They weren't, you know, holy. <laughs> they weren't righteous people. But you notice what it says in this verse? These were the people gathering around Jesus. I'm just, this verse in the Bible, it just floors me. I'm just like, what in the world? How come when I preach, the room is filled with you guys? You know, the straight-laced, clean-cut people. Where where are all the sinners? Come on, like, you know? Like, where where are the prostitutes? Where are the drug dealers? Why, Why aren't they here? Seems like they were all gathering around Jesus, but here, not so much. And I wonder why that is. And I, and I suppose that it was because Jesus was a revolutionary, you know? Like, he didn't hobnob it with the high and holy religious folks. No. He was constantly having meals with and hanging out with the prostitutes, the sinners, the, the tax collectors. He loved them. And so they were always hanging around him. They could tell that his love was genuine. And I, and I, I mean, I have to ask myself the question as a preacher, as a teacher. Do the sinners and the prostitutes and the drug dealers, do they know that I love them? Probably not. They're not gathering around. Wow, that's tough. But look what the next verse says. But the Pharisees, who were the Pharisees? These were the religious elite, okay? These are, are like the, you know, the priests and the nuns of the Catholic Church. Like they're just, you know, like they're straight-laced. They do everything by the book, you know? They don't waver outside of that. They've given their lives to following God. And so they're very strict. And the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law were the people who, who took the Bible and then they did my job. You know, they interpret it to, for the people. This is what this means. This is how you have to obey it. This is the way the law says and this is what you need to do. And so these were very religious people. And they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and also eats with them. Do you remember the context of eating that I just explained? That was their beef. You see... They said, you're eating with them, so you're inviting them into your close circle of friends, your intimate relationships. 
And how can you do that with these sinful people, of all people? Like, you need to shun these people so that they'll, be, they'll feel the pain of your rejection of them, and maybe that'll help them turn to God. <laughs> of course, that doesn't work, does it? But that's how they felt. And they, they were offended by Jesus. I hope a few people get offended by the people I hang out with. Don't you? <laughs> now, I know as parents, we don't like to hear that. What, you want my kids to hang out with that crowd? Yeah, I do. If your kids are solid in Christ, if they know who their Savior is, then yes, I want them. I want my kids to hang out with that crowd and bring them in. To be a light in a dark place. Yeah. Yeah, it can be scary. But not if we know the Lord. And if we know who we, whose we are. So, it's in this context. You got these two groups of people. You got these sinners and tax collectors there. And you got these teachers and the Pharisees. And clearly they were separated from one another. And Jesus is there teaching, right? And these guys are muttering. And these guys are like, hey, we love this Jesus, you know. And this is the context of the story that Jesus tells. And the story starts in verse 11. And I'm just going to read it. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses. And he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion towards him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Uh, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate together. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house... He heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, they replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me even a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property and with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, 
You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. The end of the story. Now, I don't know what you, many of you I'm sure have heard the story many times. Others of you might think, oh, that's, that's a, wow, a great story. I never heard that one before. The thing is that a lot of times our culture hinders us from really getting into the nitty-gritty of this story. And so I think this, this story bears repeating with some cultural influ- information added in so you really understand what's going on in this story. Um, you see, uh, the story starts with this... Uh, well, yeah, the story starts with this... Uh, these two sons, obviously they were living in a wealthy family. I mean, the family had lands, estate, they had uh, servants, and they had uh, hired help. So this is quite a, a wealthy family. And, uh, and the story opens with this younger son with this request, can I have my share of the estate? Now, this would have been an absolute shock to the hearers. Like, how dare this son ask for this while his dad was still living? This is like a slap in the face. So disrespectful. Because the inheritance was only shared after the father's dead. So it's like the kid was saying, Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could get your stuff. And all he was interested in was the stuff. He didn't care at all about his dad. He just wanted his dad's stuff so that he could go and you know, use it up and, and have a great time. And so this, the, the listeners, the original listeners would have just been like, oh my goodness, this son has committed well, like one of the worst sins, this worst disrespectful thing you can even imagine a son doing. And so they would, would have been in shock. Well, and, and then, then they'd be further in shock that the father obliged. Like, what? Why would the father oblige? And he says, you know, so he divided his property between them. This word property, in the Greek, it's bias. And bias means life, right? Like we have a biosphere, right? That means a life circle. Uh, so bias means life. So, so really he was giving his life to him. It's, it's almost like his life earnings he was passing on to his son. And... And then it says, so not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. This idea of getting together. And so maybe the father deeded the property to him. Maybe he gave him a bunch of cows and a whole bunch of stuff. Well, the son started liquidating all of this stuff and turning it into cash. And then putting it in his backpack and off he goes to find himself and find this great life. And you know, there's a lot of people who live by this style that this son has. There's a lot of people who just say, you know, religion and all this tightwad stuff, that's not for me. i got to find out who I am. And they go off to find themselves in the world. And they take whatever they can that they have and they squander it, whether it's their virginity or whether it's their wealth or whether it's their health and they squander it on drugs and alcohol and whatever. And there's a lot of people like that. They just squander what they have. God has given them so much stuff and they just waste it. Drugs that trash their brain or whatever and so there's a lot of people like this and and so this is a very relevant thing back then and for today 
that uh, someone would be painted like this. Um, but then, what happens when we squander all that we've been given? Something unexpected often happens. Our health gives out. Uh, something happens. Our money runs out. And this young man, same thing happened to him. You know, his money ran out. And uh, a famine hits. You know, just when his money runs out, a famine hits. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think now young people, you know, usually they're, you know, ready to squander all this. I think young people today are taking a second look because they've already been hit by COVID-19. They've already had this experience of the unexpected happening. It's like a shock, right? And that's what happened to this young man. And so he hired himself to the citizens of that country. Now, you have to realize that whatever country he's in, they feed pigs. They raise pigs, probably for bacon and, you know, ham and whatever. And and so he sent to feed the pigs. Now, I have to realize, like, for a Jewish person to be feeding these unclean animals was an absolute anathema. Like, it was just like, are you kidding me? He's got a job feeding pigs? That's disgusting. That's the lowest of low. How can, you can't get any lower than that. And believe me, my friends, a lot of people have to come to that place of being at the low, lowest of the low before they do what happens to the sun. Where the sun, you know, he's, he's so hungry, he wants to eat the pig food, but it's not given to him. It's given to the pigs. Why? Because they're esteemed greater than him. And he feels like garbage. He feels worse than the pigs that he's feeding. And he can't even eat their food. People sometimes get this low before they look up. And it says here, he came to his senses. It's like, and unfortunately, we, the human race, seem to be like this. We don't catch on when the famine hits. We don't, we seem like we have to be brought to our absolute limit before we'll turn to God and just be completely broken. That's why so many people today aren't turning to God because we live in a wealthy country. Uh, things go well. Uh, even in the pandemic, it hasn't been too bad for our country. And so we don't turn to God very readily. But this man, he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Now, I have to realize that in their culture, there was ranking in the family, okay? So there was basically three categories of people. Well, four, if you include the father. The father was the head of the home. He was sort of the highest, you know, and people did what he wanted. He told them to do. That was normal in the Jewish understanding of the world. So then came the sons and daughters. They were next in rank. And they were the most important people around. In fact, the servants had to obey them. And so they had a fair bit of importance. And then next came the servants or the slaves. Okay? Now, in our culture, a slave or a servant would be the lowest. But in their culture, that came next. Because the servants and the slaves, they were part of the family. They were considered part. And they would eat food at the table of the master. And they were part of the family. And they, they got uh, free Free food. Well, not free. They had to work for it. But their needs were looked after. But then there was one category lower, the hired hands. Uh, and, and they were lower because there was no responsibility 
of the family towards these hired hands. They were just migrant workers. They come and they go, and uh, we have no responsibility to look after them, feed them or anything, or house them, nothing. And so they were considered the lowest of the low, whereas a slave was, had a fair bit of respect and, and understanding in the family. I know it's different than our society. That's why you have to explain these things, otherwise you don't get it. So when he says, I, I can maybe be a hired hand, he's offering, or he's planning to offer himself as the lowest possible person on the totem pole. Because why? Because that's what he thinks of himself. He realizes, first of all, where it says, you know, I will come to my father and I'll say, I don't, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Yeah, he, he knew that, that was out of the question. That was not going to happen. He had, he had publicly humiliated his father. He had disrespected him publicly. And everybody knew it. And even if the father was willing to take him back, all the rest of the family would be going, are you kidding me? Kick him out. Get rid of him. He's garbage. And that's exactly what he felt like. He just felt like, okay, I guess I better grovel because that's the only way I can get a meal into my stomach. And so he was desperate. And so he groveled. That was his plan anyways. So he gets there. And his plan doesn't really unfold the way he thought it was going to unfold. He was going to beg for a spot in, you know, the lowest spot. And, and, uh, and the father comes running out to meet him, just racing. Now, again, you have to understand the Jewish mindset here. Okay, the patriarch of the family does not run. Okay? Because he, he would have to hold up his robes to bare his legs and run. And that would be like... No, that's for kids. You know, patriarchs don't do that. And, and in fact, what Jesus is painting here is a hero's return. The Roman soldier coming back from battle as a hero, this is how he would be greeted when he came home. A father might run out to him and give him hugs and kisses and, and embracing, but not a scoundrel like this young guy. No way. And so it was... It was just a bizarre situation that Jesus is painting here. And the people are like, wow, this is shocking. And what I want you to notice about this, though, is that the son was still a long ways off. And that means the father had been waiting patiently and longing for the return of the son. And this is really the point I want to make, or the point that most people make when they share this sermon. And that is that God the Father is longing, absolutely longing for the lost sheep to come home. He's waiting for them. And when they do, he just goes running to them and hugs them and welcomes them home. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've, you know, had sex with, no matter what wrongs you've done, no matter how you have hurt people or what sins you've committed, God is longing to call you back. And to bring you into, into the banquet table. And he, of course he sets up the banquet table. But then of course, and, and we all know this story as the prodigal son. But you know what? That's a misnomer. Absolutely wrong. Prodigal means lavish spender. Yeah, sure, the son was a lavish spender. But who was the prodigal in this story? Tim Keller says it was actually God. God was the prodigal. God was a lavish spender in this story. You see, the father represents God, and he's lavishly loading grace onto his son. 
So much so that the older brother comes along, and when he finds out what's going on, like he's just like ticked right off, and he's mad. And you know what? You 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 read this, and you don't get it in the culture that that they had. Okay, so the father goes out, and it says that he pleaded with his son. Okay, in their culture, fathers don't plead with sons. Sons plead with fathers. Fathers do not plead with sons. Sons, Fathers tell their sons what to do and they get it done. They don't plead. But here the father pleads with him. And look at the response. He doesn't say, well, sir, which is what he should have said. Well, sir, this younger brother of mine, you know, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, look. He's demanding the father's attention. He says, look, I've served you. I've slaved for you all these years. And we might think that it's the younger brother who is only after the goods of the father and not the relationship, but the older brother is exactly the same. You can see it there when he's saying this. I've slaved for you. He's putting himself in the second category. The second category, people always says, I work for you, so you owe me. This is the category that the son, he's not, he's not, he's not into the relational category of son-father where the, around the table. No, he's saying, look, I've slaved for you and you owe me. And he was in for the stuff too. In fact, why would he get so angry? I think he got so angry because this is all his money that he's now having to pay for the younger son. The younger son has already blown his inheritance money. And now he, the older son, who's going to inherit everything, has to feed the younger son, has to look after him, has to dole out stuff for him all the time. He knew this was going to keep on going. He's wearing my robe. He's got my ring on his finger. He's wearing my sandals. He's ticked off. He's just like, this is ridiculous. He wasted all night, comes back, and you're lavishing all this stuff on him. And he was indignant. But really, when you see all this anger, he says he's obeying the father all these years. But what's he doing? The father's pleading with him to come in, but he's not coming in. You call that obedience? No, I don't think so. He's on the outside. This would have been a shock to the Pharisees as well. They would have just gone like, and, and the, the Jewish people at the time, they are just kind of like, what is with these sons? They just don't get it. But what I want to point out to you is that both of these sons were completely far away from the father. Both of them wanted the father's goods and not the father himself. And I'm telling you, my friends, there are lots of people in our world that just want the father's blessing. They don't give two rips about the father himself. They just want his blessing. They want health. They want wealth. They want all the good things that God can give them. But they don't want the relationship. They just want what he can give us. And it doesn't matter whether you're an older brother or a younger brother. There's one of these categories that you fit in. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law definitely knew who they were. And the sinners and the tax collectors definitely know who they, who they were. They were... I mean, the brothers were right there in the story, listening to the story, and they all know which one they were. <laughs> so when we come to this table of the Lord, and the Lord calls us around the table, look around. Who's sitting around this table with you? 
You don't get to go into that table of the Father unless you understand his grace. The younger brother was experiencing that grace and he knew all about it. But this story doesn't end telling us what happened to the older brother. It just ends abruptly. We don't know whether he went in or whether he stayed out. We don't know. And I think this is the the genius of the story is that you can be a a God-fearing, law-abiding Christian all your life and not know the Father's love. Not be invited to the table. You can just be a do-gooder and still be far from the Father's heart. Not really understanding His plan for your life and, and totally missing that He loves you and that He wants you there around the table. Or you can be like the younger brother, so far from God that you don't think God would ever accept you. And you know for sure that those older brothers, they will not accept you. You're not going to darken the door of a church. No way. All those people looking down on you, forget it. Not happening. I don't know which category you find yourself in, or maybe you flop back and forth between one and the other. The one who, who's secure about his standing before God because he's done so many good things. And, you know, look at my life. It's all good. No. Or the one who, who's afraid and terrified to get close to God because he knows the condemnation is waiting. When in fact, it's not. <laughs> That's the glorious, glorious news of the gospel. It's not waiting. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we have an older brother. The Bible says we have an older brother. Did you know you have an older brother? You know what his name is? His name, the Bible says, is Jesus Christ. And he wasn't like the older brother in this story. This older brother decided to give up his own life for the younger brother. To sell off everything he owned for the younger brother. And the Bible gives us this picture that Jesus took off his crown and glory, set it aside, and came and was born as a, as a little kid in Bethlehem. And then grew up in, amongst these terrible people that eventually crucified him, beat him up, whipped him, slandered him, put a thorn of crown on his head and nailed him to a cross. Why? Because this older brother understood that he would... He was like the Father. And he gladly gave himself up for his brothers. Wow. (laughs) This is a table of grace. And God is extending grace. And you might think, God owes me. I've served him all these years. Why did I get cancer? This is stupid. I've served him all these years and, and my kids have gone away from the Lord. This is dumb. He owes me. Or maybe you're the, the one who's just gone off and uh, he'll never want me back. I don't know who you are today, but I think we all fall into one of these two categories. And we all come to the table through grace. And God the Father is reaching out and says, won't you join my family? I want to eat with you. I want to sup with you. And I want to have... I want to embrace you. I want to kiss you. I want to have a relationship. And I find myself so often just not really into the Father. 
I'm into the Holy Spirit, yeah. Send the gifts, Lord. Give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift of teaching. Give me the gift of, of understanding. Give me the gift of healing. I love to pray for people. And, you know, give me the gifts. But am I really into that relationship with God the Father where we commune with one another on a deep level, regularly, daily? I, I, I don't think I'm like the older brother that's standing angrily at the door. I just think I'm willy-nilly wandering around outside. That's more me. And I'm just like ashamed of that. I'm just like, what are you doing? You say you're a preacher of the gospel and you're just ignoring the Father? So I don't know where where you stand, but I just know that God, His grace is there for all of us. And He's saying, won't you come in and join the feast so we can fellowship together? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and, and uh, oh Lord, this is a, a challenging spot to be in. Uh, but Lord, we see that you're the prodigal God. You just unload your grace. And we're not ready for it. And so Lord, we just want to say thank you for accepting the sinners. Accepting those who are so far out of touch with you but also for accepting us lord and really lord help us to understand that maybe most of us are older brothers but lord we are so often judging others and standing outside of your love and trying to say that you somehow owe us something and so lord we just repent of this and we ask forgiveness and we ask that you would change us and make us into genuinely passionate people about a relationship with you. Not for looks, not for glory, not for the gifts you might give us, but just for your sake, Lord Jesus. And Father, for your sake. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.